Well, welcome again, everyone. Welcome to Trinity Green Trails and the Being Challenge. This is week two. Day one starts tomorrow in the reading. So I just want to give you that heads up. Uh, to start, I want to give you the, uh, tell you a story. It's a story about British cycling. Does anybody know anything about the cycling, the sport of cycling? Well, if, if you knew anything about the sport of cycling, you knew prior to 2003, the best thing that could be said about the British cycling team is that they're mediocre. And that would be the best thing to say about them. Because really, for about 100 years, British cyclers were not known for cycling. They were, well, at least not well. They only won one Olympic medal in about a 100-year history of, of British cycling. In fact, no British cycler had ever won the major race, the Tour de France. And, and in fact, they were, they were so ill thought of is that one of the major bike manufacturers in Great Britain would not sell their bikes to the British cycling team because they didn't want their customers associating their team with the bike, feeling like that would hurt their sales. Well, that all changed in 2003. And it needed to change because in 2012, do you remember who hosted the Olympic Games? It was London. And so British cycling was not going to do well unless they changed something. So in 2003, they hired this man, David Brailsford, to be their director of performance, to actually try and change the trajectory of the British cycling team and changing their 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 reputation, but also changing the reputation through their success. And it's amazing what he was able to do. And he brought with him this theory, this psychological theory, this philosophy, the aggregation of marginal gains. And the aggregation of marginal gains is a philosophy that believes in small changes over a wide variety of, of behaviors makes huge change. If you can make small changes in all different areas of your life or in different areas of a business or a manufacturing process or in a cycling team, if you just make 1% gains over a wide range of areas, you'll find yourself making huge gains overall in the long term. So much so, they adopted his changes and it changed the course of British cycling. In fact, it, it was remarkable. Just five years later, they hired him in 2003, and just five years later in the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, British cyclists won 60% of the gold medals that year in, British, in, in cycling. 60%. And the same year, a British cyclist won, for the very first time, the Tour de France. And in fact, he had a teammate that won it the very next year, and he went on to win it in 2015, 2016, and 2017. And here's what is said about British cycling. During the 10-year span from 2017, or 20, 2007 to 2017, British cyclists won 178 world championships and 66 Olympic or Paralympic gold medals and captured five Tour de France victories in what is widely regarded as the most successful run in cycling history. And they attribute it to the aggregation of marginal gains. He did things like change the bike seat just a little bit. 
They would rub the tires down with alcohol to make them more sticky. They would paint the inside of the, of the trucks that carried the bikes so that they could better spot dirt. Because if dirt got into one of these finely tuned bikes, it wouldn't run as well. They did all these changes. They did hundreds of changes to the equipment and to the things that they did. But they also instituted different behaviors and habits among the cyclists. That what they did was they studied how each of the cyclists slept. And they, they then brought in a bed meant for that particular cyclist. If they were a side sleeper, a back sleeper, a stomach sleeper, it makes a difference of what kind of bed you sleep on and what kind of pillow you sleep with. I mean, if you've slept in a hotel, a strange hotel on a bad pillow and you woke up the next morning and everything looks cockeyed for the whole day because you didn't sleep well. Can you imagine trying to ride a bike, sleeping, you know, and what it does to your body? And they found that it made a huge difference. But here's one of the most interesting things is they trained the cyclists how to wash their hands. They actually hired a surgeon to come in and train the cyclists how to wash their hands better because it cut down on the amount of colds that they would get, which would lessen the days that they train, and it would also affect other people on the team. Just small habits like that over time made a huge difference in British cycling. And likewise, small habits over time can make a huge difference, a major change in, the, in your life. But see, a lot of times we, we get focused on big changes we want to do the, give me the one thing, give me the magic pill that makes me successful or, or allows me to do this. And, and we're really like, we're shooting ourselves in the foot when we do that. I love this in James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. If you haven't read it, you should pick it up. He says, it doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you are right now. What matters is whether your habits are putting you on the path toward success. See, it is your habits it is the system in which you operate, in which you do things, that determines the trajectory and, the, and whether or not you reach your goal. Think about it like this. The White Sox and the Astros both had the same goal in the last two games, did they not? Their goals were to win the game. But that didn't happen for both of them, did it? So it's not the goal that determines your success, it's the preparation, it's the habits that they instituted over a long season that added up to the opportunity that they were presented in those two games that allowed them to reach their goal. It was the systems that made the difference. The players made the difference. And it's the same thing in, in life change. It's the habits, it's the systems that we institute over time. Do not underestimate the power of small change over time equals major change. And in this series, what we want to do is we want to focus on and challenge you and introduce you to five keystone habits that we see Jesus exhibiting in the scriptures. We see in the life of Jesus these five habits, and we want to challenge you to consider adopting them, to aim at them, and to actually hit these targets of, of being like Jesus for the purpose of entering into a deeper relationship with him. We, we all desire, I believe, to, to grow in our relationship with Jesus, but that happens as we practice and actually as we put into practice his words, actually do what it is he says to do. And that comes by just small daily changes as he works within us. 
and through us. Do not underestimate the power of small change over time. And do not get focused on where you are. Consider the trajectory. Consider where it is you're aiming. In his book, The Red Letter Challenge, author Zach Zender identified five targets that Jesus gave his disciples, five ways to live, being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. He identified those five targets that he saw Jesus teaching his disciples. And he said out of, the, out of all of those, the most important was being. Because all of our doing for God flows out of our being with God, he says. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you read Scripture and, and what Jesus says and what God says throughout the Scriptures, what he's really interested in is not you obeying a bunch of rules, but actually changing your hearts. Actually seeing you change, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And that begins as we spend time with him, as we learn to be with him. And as we do, we grow in our relationship with him. And so the big question is, how do we grow in our relationship with him? Where do we begin? How do we start and what does it look like? And those are all really good questions and we're going to address those in this series. But today, what I want to do is I want to give us a foundation, a, a, a bedrock that we can build on for these next five weeks as we introduce these five keystone habits. Today, what I'd like to do is introduce to you or ask and answer two questions that I think help give us and put us on the right path. And the first question is this, how will keystone habits help me become more like Jesus? And the second question is, what are the keystone habits that I'm, I find or that we find in the Bible, that we find in the life of Jesus? So how will the keystone habits help me become like Jesus? And, and what are they? Sound like a plan? Awesome. Pray with me as we start. Father, we thank you for this morning, for your faithfulness that is unending. Only a holy God, as we sang, is capable of, of changing me, of shaping me. Father, you are patient, you are true, and you, are, you persevere through my failures. So I pray right now that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Father, I cry, grow our faith. Mold us and shape us more. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to feel. I pray that in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So before we answer these questions, I want to take us back and remind us of where we're aiming. We're aiming to be like Jesus. That's the goal of a Christian life. Right? Because it makes a difference where you aim. We can have all the greatest intentions in the world, but if our aim is off, we're going to find ourselves at a different place than we intended. Remember, if you don't know where you're going, then any road will get you there. And so we want to make sure that we know where we're headed and we're aiming at Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. If, if you're in L.A. and your desire is to fly to New York, right? you get on a plane bound for New York. But if the pilot at takeoff just adjusts his trajectory about three and a half degrees to the south, what you'll find is yourself not in New York, but in Washington, D.C. What at the beginning seems like an imperceptible change, just a few feet 
at the beginning, when taken over the length of the United States, and you find yourself 225 miles south of your intended target. If we don't keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we don't keep him as the target, we can often find ourselves way off the mark. And, and maybe you've seen that in, in Christianity. Well-meaning, well-meaning people who love Jesus take their eyes off of Jesus. And, and, and they, they put their eyes down on their own life or too much into the lives of others, and we find ourselves acting and saying and doing things that Jesus himself would have never said, done, or thought. Because they took their eyes off Jesus. He ceased to become the target. And, and maybe you've, you've done that in your own life, right? You, you find yourself over and over again frustrated because you keep hearing that you need to be more like Jesus, and we find ourselves struggling every day, and we feel like nothing ever happens, and I find myself saying the things that I've always said to the people I love the most, and I hurt them. And oftentimes it's because we take our eyes off Jesus, or we don't know how to keep our eyes on Jesus. We don't know how to be with him. So the first thing is we have to aim at Jesus. If he's the target, we need to aim at him. We need to keep our eye on him. And if we keep our eye on him and we spend time with him, he promises to train us. He promises to show us how to live. The text we heard read earlier, you heard Kristen Reed says, are you tired? He's asking you that question this morning. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out? With religion, are you burned out with all the things that you have to do, the things that you think you have to live up to in order to be accepted by Jesus? Are you tired? Are you worn out of trying to keep up? He says, if that's the case, then come to me. I love this version from Eugene Peterson in the message. It's a paraphrase of what Jesus says. He says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. When he says your life, he means the life that he has designed for you, the life he has actually created you to live. That's the life he's talking about. That's the life he desires for you to live in. That's the life he knows that you will flourish in. Come and discover that life. He says, and I'll show you how to take a real rest, a rest from the striving to be this person that you think you have to be. He's saying, learn to be the person I know you to be. I created you to be. And we learn that as we focus on him. He says, we learn that as we walk with him, as we work with him, and watch what he does. Did you hear how he paraphrased that? Jesus said the same thing. He talks about this yoke and, and coming down and working alongside him. And there's something we actually do here. We're called to actually do something, and that's actually to watch Jesus, to read his word, to spend time with him, and to actually put into practice the things that he tells us to do. He says, learn from me, and then actually do these things. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you would be wise to not only hear my words, but to actually do them, to actually put them into practice. That would be the wisest thing for everyone, anyone to do. And conversely, if you hear his words, memorize his words, and then never do them, he calls you a fool. 
because you're just setting yourself up for failure. Jesus himself calls us to do something and actually to put into practice what he teaches us. But to understand what he teaches, we have to spend time with him. We actually have to watch him and we see him all over the place in scripture and we learn from him. And as we do that, he says, we'll learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love how he paraphrases that. We will learn these unforced rhythms. What he's saying is as we do these things, as we change, as we put into practice these small changes of Jesus over time, they become things that we just do out of habit. They're not things that we have to think about or we have to be forced in or coerced in or guilted in to do. It's just something we do because we've been watching Jesus and we've been putting these practices into, into place and all of a sudden over time, after 10, 15, 20, 30 years sometimes, it's like, oh my goodness, what happened to that guy? What happened to that, to that woman that, that used to be is different? And you're different because you've been keeping your eye on Jesus and actually doing the things that Jesus asked you to do. And over time, he does a miraculous thing in you and he will do a miraculous thing through you. And they will become unforced. It'll just become who you are. You won't have to be somebody different in public than you are in private. It'll just be who you are. The, the person that your children see at home is the person people see in public. The, the people that, at work that see you, the people at home see the same person. The, the, the people in the classroom that see you will see the same person that you are when you're with your friends at church. And your friends at church see the same person that you are with your family at home. That's what he desires to create in you is this life that is consistent. And when you don't have to work to be different people in different places, man, I tell you what, it's, it's like soul rest. Because I don't have to remember what it is I told you. I can just be who I am, knowing that God loves me just the way I am. But he loves me so much he doesn't like to leave me like that. And that's why he calls me to put into practice his steps. That if I can learn to walk with him, if I can learn to keep my eyes on him, and I can learn to just walk with him, he will create in me a life that I was created to live. I was meant to live. He said, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. He knows you. He alone knows you. He knows you better than yourself. And so he says, keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Freely and lightly as you learn to live like Jesus. Now, the one thing that this translation doesn't teach us that other translations give us that I think is important for us to note this morning and we see it in the NIV. It's the only place in all scripture where God tells you his heart. Do you know that? It's the only place in scripture where God explains his heart. What truly is at the heart of Jesus. He says, for I am meek and humble at heart. I am gentle and lowly at heart. That's just who Jesus is. That's how he treated people. Let me ask you, just this morning, from the time you woke up till now, would you describe your demeanor as meek and lowly? 
gentle, and humbling. Jesus says, if you spend time with him, you'll find that that's who you'll become. That's who you'll be in the way you speak, in the way you think, and in the way you treat other people will be with humility. It won't be something you have to try to be. It'll just be something you are because you'll be like Jesus, who in heart is gentle and lowly. And he desires for you to be the same in all of your relationships. And he says the way we accomplish that is little bitty changes over time with our eyes fixed on him, actually doing what he calls us to do. But here's the thing. Here's the question now, right? How will these habits help us become more like him? How would just habits help me to become more like him? Well, first of all, what are we talking about when we say habit? Well, a habit is a regular tendency or practice, something that we do. In fact, research has said about 40% of what we do throughout the day is just habitual. We just do it because we've always done it. And you know when you try to change a habit or institute a new one, it's difficult. Especially if you've done it a long time and especially if you're doing something that's addictive, right? I mean, it is hard to change a habit and it is really difficult to institute a new one. But if you can manage to change your habits, habits can change your life. It change your system, change your directory, your trajectory when you have the target in mind. But there's something bigger about habits and they're, they're called keystone habits. And actually, Charles Duhigg identified these keystone habits in his book, The Power of Habit, when he said a keystone habit is a habit that people introduce into their lives that unintentionally carry over into other aspects of their lives. Meaning you do something and the effect of just that one change cascades and affects other things in your life. You, you follow me? And so there are keystone habits that we identify in Jesus' life. And just to kind of give you an example of some of those habits, the first one is this, exercise. I know some of you are going, oh, exercise. But exercise, just instituting a regular habit of exercise can change a lot of different areas of your life. In fact, this is what researchers have found about exercise. It says, research shows that people who exercise has increased patience, less stress, and are more productive at work. It is also correlated with a better eating, with better eating and better sleep. And crazily enough, has also been linked to spending less on credit cards. And when Terry heard that, she said, we're going to start working out on Monday. But see, exercising regularly affects more than just your physical health. There's a cascading, there's, there, there's a keystone habit that changes multiple things in your life. Another example would be this, making your bed. Right now, I know some of you kids are like going, oh, and some of you guys are going, oh, and it's like, well, here's, here's what they say. Making your bed every morning feels like a waste of time because you're just gonna mess it up again. And if you're like me, it's just like you're tempted to go right back in, right? But if you make it up, it becomes harder to go back in. So make it up and you'll stay up, right? So, but it, here's what it says. It says, but making your bed is correlated with increased productivity. Bed makers, not bedwetters, are more likely to like their jobs, own a home, exercise regularly, and feel well rested. They also have stronger skills with sticking to a budget. Seems to be like a theme here. And then the third one is this, flossing your teeth. How many of you floss your teeth every day? Oh, of course you do, right? 
So here's what it says. Like many lifestyle coaches start to introduce this habit because here's what they found. Flossers become associated with successful, capable, confident, and disciplined people. I remember hearing Craig Groeschel, a pastor of Life Church, talk about this habit. And it was several years ago, and he's a, he's a disciple of James Clear, by the way. And what he, what he does is every year, he starts a new habit. Just one. Just one. Say, so how many times have you sat there at the beginning of the year and you have all these things you're going to change and you do none of them? But if you could do one thing over a length of time, it can change things. And what he did was he said, I'm going to start flossing my teeth every day. That was the very first thing he changed. And why do you think he did that? Because he wanted to prove to himself that he could. He wanted to prove to himself and show himself to be a disciplined person. Right? He's like, I am a teeth flosser. Right? How many times have somebody said, well, you should read this. Well, I'm not a reader. Well, that's right. You'll never be a reader if you never see yourself as a reader. Right? I like to read. I just haven't had time yet. You need to change habits. And just changing one habit can make a big difference. Do not underestimate the power of one new habit over time and what it can accomplish in your life. But here's what Paul says. Physical habits are great. Changing your exercise routine, changing your sleep patterns, changing, you know, your flossing habits are awesome. But they don't compare to spiritual habits. They do not compare to the habits that we see in the life of Jesus. Because those habits not only change your life here, but they change your trajectory in the afterlife, right? It changes everything. They're important for everything much more important than physical habits. And Paul says, so you should work at them. You should train. He's telling Timothy here, you need to institute these into your life and you need to teach people to institute these things that Jesus teaches into their lives. Because when you do, it will change their lives. It'll change not only their life, it'll change the life of the church. And so he teaches us this morning, put these into practice. Look at these keystone habits of Jesus because they can change your life. Which brings us to question two. What are the keystone habits of Jesus that we see in Scripture? Please, Tony, tell me, what are they? Well, today I just want to introduce you to them. Because over the next five weeks, we're going to dive into each one of these. The first one is this habit of committing to community. Committing to actually being here, getting into a group, being a part of don't be a Lone Ranger Christian. Right? In the second week, we're going to look at this habit of studying Scripture, what it means to actually spend time in His Word, to actually be with Him. Remember, the goal isn't just to check off all these things. It's actually to be in relationship with God, to deepen our relationship with Him. And the third habit that we're going to look at is prioritizing prayer in our life. We see this all over Scripture with Jesus. He also sought solitude often to spend time alone, to get away from the hectic life that distracts us, that beckons us to just continue repeating the habits that we live in currently. And then finally, this fifth habit of actually choosing church. 
over other things and what that can do in your life to give you the life that Jesus desires you to have. Now, I know some of you are really eager to get started, and some of you have probably been so eager that you've already read through the book. Anybody? Oh, now nobody wants to raise their hand, right? It's like, okay, so how many of you have actually turned to the back of the book and, and read the last part of the book? Yeah, one person, right? One brave, honest person in the room. And I know that you're going to be enticed into trying to, you know, because there's going to be 40 days of reading and challenges, and, and you're going you're gonna to be enticed and try to, like, just change everything, 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 everything. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Over these 40 days, find one habit. Find one that resonates with you, that God is speaking to you, that the spirit that your group maybe might be encouraging you to take. Take one habit that you're not doing right now, just one, and commit to doing that one thing over this next year. Just one. And see if, if God doesn't do something amazing with a small change over a period of time. Because I guarantee you, you're going to struggle to just change one thing. And some of you are going to do really good for a while. But one thing. And then here's what I want you to do. Tell somebody that step. Tell somebody what that change is. That's what I want to encourage you to do. That's the beauty of group. Just one thing. There's an ancient Chinese proverb that says this. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Just one step. Just one habit. With the right trajectory, aiming at the right target, will make a huge difference, a major difference in your life. Every destination begins with a step in that direction. Just with a single step. That's what I want to encourage you to do in this series, to learn how to be with God. To learn how actually following Jesus and, and, and bringing his habits and understanding his habits, which will also communicate his heart for you, will change your life as we look to deepen our relationship with him. I, I want to encourage you over this series and over the rest of your life to see God's plan for your life, to understand that you have a purpose in his eyes. And, and, and not to be so consumed with where you are right now, but to fix your eyes on Jesus. Be, be cognizant of your trajectory. And, and, and look at instituting these habits of Jesus into your life over time. And, and in 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, you're going to find yourself in a place that you never thought possible. If you're thinking today that it's like too late for you or, or maybe that's just like, well, that's not for you, I just want to encourage you that you have no idea what God has in store for you. You have no idea what God can still do through you. He can do remarkable things because he is a holy God. And only a holy God can do that in you. Will you let him?